This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Buck Sexton Show. You're right. If you're thinking, that's not Buck Sexton. It's me again, Raheem Kassam, the global editor-in-chief of humanevents.com, filling in for the great Buck Sexton today, broadcasting live this time. Those of you who will remember a couple of weeks ago, we did it out of West Palm Beach. This time we're doing it out of sunny, sunny California. We're in, uh, we're in North L.A. I don't even know L.A. very well. Somebody's going to tell me, no, you're not in North L.A. I think I'm in North L.A., and that's all that matters. I identify as being in North L.A. Okay, we've got a great show for you today. So much going on in the world, um, not least uh, the president assailing China yet again. This trade war talk is all kicking off. The establishment obviously in a panic. Mr. President, you can't have tariffs. We don't like tariffs. The end of history dictated. We don't do tariffs anymore. But sure enough, the American economy is still roaring while these tariffs take hold and force China to the negotiating table, force China to rethink the decades and decades of destruction that they've been doing to the American manufacturing base, jobs, to the opioid crisis that has developed as a result of a lot of it to what they're doing down in Latin America and Central America. Also, we're going to talk in uh, in about 20 minutes. You're not going to go want to go anywhere. We're going to talk with my old boss, Stephen K. Bannon, about the, uh, about the trade war. But there's more going on too, things that we all need to be aware of. This Equality Act uh, that the Democrats are trying to push through Congress. We're going to be talking to the Concerned Women for America, Shea Garrison, will be joining us momentarily. Um, and across the show, we've got Mike Morrison. You might not know Mike Morrison, but Mike Morrison's a good friend of mine. He used to run the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez parody account on Twitter, and it was recently taken away from him, I think because it was too close to the truth, if you're asking me. Um, but Twitter making other excuses for their more banning of conservative voices later on in the program we're going to bring in a good buddy of mine matt peterson from the claremont institute they just had secretary of state mike pompeo at their 40th anniversary gala down here in beverly hills that's what i was in town for and you know what i just decided to to hang on out afterwards and uh, chris hull as well great expert on all things foreign affairs good friend of mine and uh, he'll be talking about talking to us about china too dave riboy um, also a Claremont fellow like myself, I guess, I guess you're beginning to see a pattern here. When Raheem guests host the show, it's Raheem's buddies who come on. But I happen to believe that my buddies, I have the best buddies, all right? I have the smartest people with the best words. Dave Raboy will be coming on the show in the last hour as well. Dave is, um, Dave is primarily a foreign policy guy. He's done amazing work, um, especially on recently the Khashoggi affair. But Dave actually was, uh, was in a supermarket yesterday down in West Palm Beach and, and took, a, took a picture with a box of Chips Ahoy, you know, these, these cardboardy uh, cookies that you guys have. Well, Chips Ahoy and their PR people didn't like it so much, and that's because Dave was making fun of their latest advertising campaign. 
um, which featured a transgendered person um, telling you to buy your mother Chips Ahoy cookies for Mother's Day. I think that's the gist of it in general. Anyway, I'm going to hear from Dave later on in the program. Um, but I wanted to start off with this today, because those of you who will remember the last time I guest hosted this show, and I'm, I'm very honored and privileged whenever Bunk asked me to do it, um, I went off on a little bit of an unplanned tear in the, in the opening monologue section about uh, the anti-Semitism that's rife within the Democrat Party. And, and little did I know uh, at the time, I mean, nothing did I know at the time, what would ensue just about 10 days later. The representative for Michigan, one of the representatives for Michigan, um, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, this weekend was heard to utter the following words in a podcast for Yahoo News called the, the Skullduggery Podcast. Um, I want to play the clip, um, Mr. Producer, of, the, um, of what uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib told the Skullduggery Podcast. I think, it's, uh, I think it's clip one. Yep, we got it. There's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling I always tell folks. When I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust, and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, all of it, was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews. When I think about uh, one state, I think about the fact that why couldn't we do it in a better way? I, I, I've never done this before on the radio, but I actually like to play the first part of that clip again. Mr. Producer, just play that re really the beginning where she says there's a calming feeling. I always tell folks when I think of the Holocaust, I want, to, I want you guys to hear what kind of a sociopath it takes to, to, to say those things. Let's, let's just hear that again. There's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling I always tell folks when I think of the Holocaust. And it's extraordinary. There's kind of a calming feeling I always tell folks when I think of the Holocaust. Now, I don't know about you guys out there, but I certainly hope I do. I don't think anybody gets a calming feeling when they think of the systematic slaughter of six million Jews, of six million anyone's, right? I don't think anybody could sit back and say, well, let's just listen to the broader context of what Congresswoman Tlaib was saying, because she was given the opportunity to establish some broader context on the Seth Meyers show last night. Let's play clip 15, I think it is, uh, Mr. Bouchard. Let's hear the context that uh, uh, Congresswoman Tlaib wanted to, wanted to establish around this comment. I feel like there's a way to talk about the history of that part of the world that, that people here in this country that maybe don't fully understand it could, could grasp it more. Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, I grew up in the most beautiful blackest city in the world, uh, in the country, which is the city of Detroit. And every corner is a reminder of the civil rights movement. And I, through my African-American teachers, through, my, you know, I call my black mothers on, this, on, my, on the block I grew up in, they, you know, constantly told me about the pain of oppression. They taught me about the history of segregation and feeling less than and dehumanized because because they were black in America. And a lot of that, that lens that I bring to this issue, and that's how I talk about it. The fact that, you know, we are dehumanizing a whole community uh, to uplift other uh, others. But I don't think that's truly going to keep anybody safe. It's truly not going to lead towards peace and equality and justice. And you have to, when you look at this issue, come from a place of values. You know, people want to go ahead and jump and choose sides. No, come from a place of values, because by the end, you will choose the right side of history when you do that. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. 
if you listen very closely to what she's saying, that I mean, I, I guess I do get it, right? This is this is somebody who effectively hates Jews. I said it. I said it. Put me up against the wall, mind you. She probably would. Um, this is somebody who clearly hates Jews because to say that one people are being lifted up, i.e., the Jews after the Holocaust were being lifted up by the establishment of the state of Israel at a cost to the other, and then she goes on to say, I don't think that can create a long-lasting peace. Well, by saying that, what you're doing is you're delegitimizing the state of Israel. You're delegitimizing its founding. You're delegitimizing what it's there for. You're delegitimizing its historical claim to that land, its biblical claim to that land. You're delegitimizing the whole lot of it. So in going on television and saying this stuff again, she hasn't dug herself out of the hole. She's dug herself even further. You're going to want to stay with me on this because I'm going to bang on about this throughout the course of this show. I think it's absolutely reprehensible. And what's also reprehensible is the attitude that the mainstream media have adopted towards this. Instead of going after her and saying, hold on a minute, we have a literal anti-Semite. We have a, some, somebody who denigrates the Holocaust in position of massive power in the United States Congress. What are the headlines that we're seeing? Republicans pounce on Tlaib's comments. Republicans anger, re Republican fury. Everyone should be furious about this. I'm not one <laughs> to scream and shout. I really am not. But I am absolutely flabbergasted that the moral depravity that has taken root inside the confines of your Congress, 5% of the entire new intake of Democratic Party expressing views like this, one-state solution views, which effectively means an end to Israel. And the media operatives and the talking heads and the written word journalists scurrying like cockroaches to defend Rashida Tlaib for these comments, for me, is absolutely unacceptable. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. You're not going to want to go anywhere. We've got some great guests over the course of the next couple of hours. Tell your friends to tune in. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, the Global Editor-in-Chief of HumanEvents.com, broadcasting live from Los Angeles today. We, um, we opened with my little rant about uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, and I hope we have the time to get to more of that over the course of the show. If you want to have your say, ladies and gentlemen, the phone lines are open. The phone number is 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. I'm going to bring on a special guest now, uh, Dr. Shea Garrison. Uh, from the Concerned Women for America, Dr. Garrison, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Hi, Raheem. Thank you for having me. Um, no, absolutely our pleasure, because there's this, there's this Equality Act bill um, that is being put before Congress. And I'm not sure that uh, the world quite understands the implications of it. And mm -hmm. we're very grateful for you joining us to talk about this. Um, if I were a moron, and some people say I am, <laughs> what do I need to know from the outset, uh, Dr. Garrison, about this bill, the implications, and what are the chances of it passing? Well, it basically amends the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And it replaces the word sex as a non-discriminated category with the term sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity. So what that means is that gender identity now becomes among the protected categories of discrimination, which 
on the face of things sounds good, but you have to understand that the word sex will no longer be understood as biologically male and female in civil rights law. And so all federally funded entities will be forced to interpret sex as multiple and fluid gender identities. So it doesn't matter what your your birth was at, uh, excuse me, your sex was at birth. And here's sort of the, the, the clincher. There are no medical or legal conditions required or, or processes required to prove that you have um, moved from one sex to the other, but it is up to your own self-identification, and there's no limitations on it. So how's that for a nutshell summary? <laughs> That is that is a deeply disturbing um, nutshell summary, um, Dr. Garrison. Your colleague uh, Doreen Denny has uh, written an article about this, which is up right now as the lead story on humanevents.com, and we're very mm-hmm. grateful for that because um, there are so many real-world implications for this. Um, I, as you can probably tell. Or, I suppose, you're not really supposed to say that anymore, but I was going to say you could probably tell by the sound of my voice that I'm a man. Um, This means that effectively... (laughs) Right, thank you. Um, I'm glad you didn't say no there. That would have been embarrassing. Um, The the, the implications for this are that I can walk into... If this passes, I can just walk in to a women's changing room, say, I identify as a woman. I don't have Mm -hmm. to show anything. There's no... Uh, uh, you know, medical records, no psychological thing, nothing at all that I have to do to prove that I can just go into your gym and walk into your changing room. Is that right? That is absolutely right. And that is not just theoretical because of some gender identity policies that have been put in state law, local law, um, uh, different uh, organizations laws. It is actually happening already. Can I give you a, a quick example of that? Please. Um, Evergreen's State College, Washington State, uh, 2012, there was a man there, 45-year-old student at this college, who identifies as a woman but still has male genitalia using the women's locker room. And um, high school students were also allowed to use these facilities. So some teenage girls practicing for the high school swim team saw this man in there completely naked, again, remember, still with male genitalia, Their coach asked him to leave. He didn't have to leave. Bottom line is the police didn't arrest him for indecent exposure. Local district attorney didn't bring charges because the non-discrimination policy at the school gives any man who identifies, self-identifies as a woman, the right to use the facilities. And this kind of thing is happening all over the nation. Uh, Men, boys who identify as women or girls competing on women's uh, sports teams. So these things are, are, are already happening and will be enshrined into our civil rights law if this thing were to pass. So, well, speaking of that, um, how likely is it to pass? I know the president came out today and, and said that um, he had some problems with it. What is, what, is the, what is the likelihood as it stands right now? Who's pushing it? Who's sponsoring it? And, and how can people take action? There'll be a lot of callers out there right now, a lot of listeners out there who want to take action, get involved with your group perhaps. So feel free to give yourselves a plug as well. Over to you. Well, I appreciate that. Um, almost every Democrat in the House is um, standing for this. There are only, only a few Republicans standing for it. Uh, we sent, CWA, Concerned Women for America, sent a letter today to Nancy Pelosi, 
along with, may I point out, other women's groups on both sides of the aisle, Women Liberation Front uh, or WOLF, they are a radical feminist group who have united with us against this act because we understand that it will bring uh, harm to women and girls in many different ways. It, so it will pass in the House, but um, we, we are trying as much as we can to just let people know what is going on. This thing is insane. And um, there are women, like I said, not just conservative women, as we are, who are standing against this because we understand that it will hurt women and girls. It already is. It's part and parcel of this um, radical left agenda. I mean, remember, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez promised us in another, uh, in another violent anti-women piece of rhetoric that they would, uh, they would run train on the, uh, on the congressional agenda um, in this mm-hmm. uh, in this Congress, and it looks like they're doing just that, um, Dr. Garrison. I know it's politics is you know electoral politics may not be what concerned women for America does directly, um, but but what is what do you think about the these guys' chances in in 2020? I mean they've been they've they've been uh, already just so embarrassing for the political left. Mm-hmm. Do you see any chance of the political left coming back to being moderate and normal? Well, that's a really good question. From my seat here in D.C., it doesn't look like it. I really think they've lost their minds. Can I say that on radio? Well, absolutely. It's mandatory on this show. Okay. Well, this is is our point. This is why we're trying to get the word out. I know that this sounds crazy. I would have thought if I was one of your listeners a couple of years ago, oh, this woman must be an alarmist. But no, I am telling you what is happening. We've been working on this issue um, in gender identity policies for about two years now. And these things are real. Um, Congress is out of hand. We have tried to explain to them the dangers of, of this bill that it uh, that it will will hurt not just women but little girls uh, right. who have to also deal with these types of things. Just like in that example that I give you gave you. And um, Dr. Garrison, we're we're, we're 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 right at the end here. Would you tell people where they can uh, see more of your work? What's yeah. the website? Yes, if you would please go to our website, Concerned Women for America, excuse me, uh, Concerned Women for America. We have a uh, page on there under the Equality Act with all kinds of resources. If you would please reach out to your Congress. Dr. Garrison, we're right at the end of this segment, but thank you so much. People go to that website. This is the Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to turn out extremely well. We're in a very strong position. We are the piggy bank that everybody likes to take advantage of or take from, and uh, we can't let that happen anymore. We've been losing for many years, anywhere from $300 billion to $500 billion a year with China and trade with China. We can't let that happen. A lot of strength is being shown. This has never happened to China before. Our economy is fantastic. Theirs is not so good. We've gone up trillions and trillions of dollars since the election. Uh, They've gone way down since my election. So uh, that's the way it is. That's the way it stands. We're going to do very well. Yeah. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Raheem Kassam, the Global Editor-in-Chief of HumanEvents.com, filling in, occupying the Freedom Hut today. Joining us on the line now 
is somebody who's very familiar uh, with that voice and familiar with talking to that voice on that topic. Stephen K. Bannon is the former White House chief strategist and the former CEO of the Trump campaign. My old boss, Steve, welcome to the show. I don't know what was harder, uh, being the CEO of the Trump campaign, being chief strategist, or being your former boss. I have an idea of what at least was much more trying on a daily basis. <laughs> Steve, you've been, you've been on a tear lately about China. I mean, you have been focused on this issue almost laser-like for years now. Um, but specifically within the last week or so, we've seen your name popping up. I still have Google alerts on for you, by the way. So I see every morning... Um, what Steve Bannon is saying, primarily about China at the moment, an op-ed in the Washington Post um, last week, quoted at length in um, in Yahoo News today, which is a very interesting article as well. Steve Bannon, cheering trade war, hopes for government to fall in China. Is that a quixotic aim, Steve? Is is there a chance that the, the Chinese Communist Party actually crumbles because of uh, the policies of this administration? Look, I don't think, and I just heard the president's, uh, you know, the, the quote there, talking to the gaggle, um, you know, and the president's doing an excellent job here of positioning this and negotiating this. But when you look at the, the deal that we tried to uh, try to work out with them, this is not a trade deal. I mean, this is basically an armistice and an economic war that the Chinese have been running on not just America, but the entire industrial West. I mean, I'm here in Berlin and people, the business people I'm talking to, some of the local people, Everybody's talking about China, which China's doing to basically eviscerate the manufacturing base of the industrial democracy. So this is as serious as it gets. President Trump, as you know, Raheem worked with Lighthizer Navarro for almost a year to craft this deal. Uh, the Chinese knew exactly what the architecture of it was. They knew exactly that this was focused around transparency and accountability. And that was going to be handled by a deep monitoring and also the ability to, of enforcement. Uh, and the Chinese knew what this was, and at the last minute, they rethought it, and they said, hey, this will begin the process of taking apart the state capitalism that has uh, that has worked for us, and, uh, and we think we can challenge the West. So this is this is as uh, tough as um, that people should be concerned about this. It's an important issue as the United States has ever faced. Trump's doing a tremendous job, but this is really about stopping this economic war that China's been running against us, and the CCP this radical cadre that controls China. This is not about the Chinese people. The Chinese people are as good and decent as any people on earth. This is about this radical cadre uh, that controls them. And I think ultimately uh, something's going to have to happen there. That would have to be by the Chinese people. But I think the first step is to hang tough on this economic war. President Trump there saying in the clip we played just out of the break that this has never happened to China uh, before. Well, Steve, you know this issue probably, I would say, maybe better than anyone in America right now. How did we get to this point? What are the couple of decades of policies of, of not just detente but rolling over to China? Who, are in, who was in charge of those policies? Because all I'm hearing from the establishment media at the moment is we've got to end this trade war, we've got to end these tariffs, this is going to hurt Americans in the pocket. This sounds like it's coming from some pretty slick operators in D.C. who have been pumping these lines out for decades. Oh, you, this is the swamp uh, writ large. I mean, Raheem, you know this from being uh, Nigel's wingman in London. You're seeing right now Project Fear, Project Fear that, that ran on the Leave campaign and then Brexit. You're seeing Project Fear now put into the American people by a very slick influence operation uh, backed by Chinese money. And, and what you're seeing is that, oh, we have to cut a deal quickly or the farmers are going to be hurt or the stock market's going to implode. It's always some different fear uh, every other day. 
this has been going on for basically almost 25 years since we allowed China into the World Trade Organization, most favored nation. And the experts, the, the global elites, got it wrong. The elites in New York City and Washington, D.C., they said, basically, we know we're going to make China wealthier. We know we're going to ship jobs over there, particularly manufacturing jobs. So if they get wealthier, they become more free market, uh, you know, lovers of democracy. Well, that didn't happen. They became the exact opposite. Now they're a complete totalitarian surveillance state, mercantilist mm-hmm. surveillance state. And, and this is what we've created. This is what Wall Street and the corporatists, and particularly corporate America. Corporate America is their lobbying operation. Wall Street is the investors' relations department of the Chinese Communist Party. We've created this kind of Frankenstein monster. Our, our technology, both the, that we allowed them to steal, that the forced technology transfers, and that we financed through Wall Street. You know, NPR did this great piece two weeks ago about all the companies. I think they went to 200 companies that had IP, their, 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 the basic beating heart of their company, stolen by the Chinese. Not one company would come forward. Everybody said, we want the U.S. government to do something. Not one company would come forward because they were afraid of retaliations by China. So this has happened. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is the permanent political class that's in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. They've all made money in China. They've all helped you know, build, it, build the firewall, build the surveillance technology that suppresses the Chinese people. This is an outrage, not just a moral outrage. It's a practical outrage. And it's the reason Donald Trump's president. The reason he's president... The working class people in the upper Midwest, where the fact the factories that got shipped to China and the jobs, rejected the globalist and Hillary Clinton. They wanted someone like a Donald Trump that could come along and represent their interests. And this is why you see Joe Biden up there. You see Bernie Sanders up there. This is going to be the framing issue for the 2020 campaign. What does victory look like here for America, Steve? Yahoo's trying to portray it that for you, victory is is the crumbling of the regime in China. What does victory in these trade talks for America look like, given that we've already seen the trade gap narrow in the first quarter of 2019? I think 80 billion, the gap now compared with 91 billion in the same period last year. When, as, these, as this deal progresses, what should the American people be looking for and what deal should they take? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. You, know, people, you wouldn't notice, notice by listening to the media going on you know, cable TV at night that the trade deficit and uh, trade deficit narrowed. Also, the difference in economic growth between the 2% projected and the 3.2%, that entire 1% was all driven by closing the trade deficit. Also, import prices are dropping in the first quarter. In addition, the, the jobs number that was so off the chart. So all those metrics, and that's why Trump's saying today the stock market rebounded. All of those metrics are pointing to a more robust economy. And one of the reasons is we're starting to pull the supply chain back from, uh, from China, and that's the central part of Trump's plan. I think a success for the American people is you have to blunt what China, this economic war China is running on us, and this is not the trade part. These are these deep verticals where Trump and Lighthizer had negotiated an incredible deal that no American president has ever done. And when they try to retrade, Trump said this is not going to happen. So I think people should look for things like forced technology transfer stop, uh, cyber intrusions to steal our intellectual property, subsidies to state-owned industries that drive to destroy our steel, aluminum, and heavy manufacturing business, uh, and the stop of this Made in China 2025, where they're actually trying to overtake us as the uh, as the leading advanced manufacturer in the world. Those would be major wins, not just for the American people, but for all of the industrial democracies, and start to begin to bring China into the free market capitalist system 
that's really been the, the, the driver of peace and prosperity throughout the world. That's a win. Anything short of that is not going to be a win. And I think that's why we're very far apart in this deal. I, I would like to see for something to happen, Raheem, I think a process has to be started that you can get to the heart of these difficult issues. But I, I just don't see President Trump blinking. I think the hawks in, in, in Beijing right now are saying, hey, this is the moral equivalent of a, of a, of a, a, a port treaty from the 19th century. As being British, you know, that that's really what started the 200 years of humiliation. The Chinese are saying, I think a lot of the hawks are saying, hey, this would put America with the monitoring and with the enforcement directly into our economy. Uh, we're not going to do it. So I think we're, we're quite a, a bit apart away. Just before I let you go, I didn't realize you were in Berlin, Steve. There's a lot of people out there that like to follow what Steve Bannon is doing across the world. What can you tell us about, about, about your travels in Europe? And will I see you next week in London? We're coming over, Human Events is coming over to cover the, uh, the European parliamentary campaign. If you remember, Steve, we launched Breitbart London five years ago, just ahead of the European parliamentary election. So it's a very august time for me. Well, I, I tell you, Raheem, you've been at the cutting edge of that fight. Uh, I would like to join you right now. My my schedule's pretty jammed. Uh, and, and, and as you know, Nigel's done such a stunning job in setting up this Brexit party. We'd actually planned to be on the continent. Now, I'm here with uh, Alternative for Deutschland to talk to different uh, people, leadership in Alternative for Deutschland, and go through their plan in the run-up uh, to the European parliamentary elections next week. Uh, I'm heading to Paris on, on Friday and then down to, to Italy and probably to Spain after that. But this is a, this is a uh, you know, people here are on tenterhooks about how this election turns out in the next days. You have a real possibility for this populist national sovereignty movement to have some stunning victories. I mean, you could have a scenario where Salvini, Le Pen, and Nigel Farage are, are all atop, you know, some of the one, two, three, four, five uh, top parties in the European Parliament. You could end up with maybe as much as 30% to 35% of the, uh, of the European parliamentary members be part of this kind of insurgent movement. So it's a huge thing, and i got to tell you, I, I couldn't be proud of what uh, Nigel's done uh, over the last couple of weeks. It's been absolutely stunning for the audience. You know, Nigel Farage now is polling, I think, at 34%, 35%. Might get as high as 40% on a party that was literally put to put together, you know, over the last five or six weeks, although he's been thinking about it a lot. And i got to tell you, I think if there's a general election in the fall, uh, we might be talking about Prime Minister Nigel Farage because <laughs> Nigel has come on and really represented this this Brexit movement in in some in in a, in a way that I think really strikes to the heart of what the issue is. So uh, hopefully, if I can reorganize, I would, I, nothing would be better for me to be there, thinking the memories we had of 2014 and everything that you did to build Breitbart London and what Nigel did on the Brexit thing. But I got to tell you, for the audience, that this is a, it's a prairie fire over here for the sovereignty movement. And uh, you saw Obama in the Oval Office this week. Uh, they're going to have a huge rally on, I think, uh, Saturday in Milan. Uh, I'm heading down to Paris uh, on Thursday. It's, this is, it's, it's quite a time over here. And by the way, in Germany, Alternative for Deutschland is really starting to get their sea legs. I think they're going to be a very major party uh, come the uh, fall elections. Well, Steve, uh, we're really grateful for you staying up late. It's, what, like 1 a.m., I think, in, in Berlin at the moment. So we're very grateful for you joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Just tell people real quick where they can learn more about uh, the Committee on the Present Danger China, um, your new outfit that's looking into all of this stuff. Yeah, we have, we have a website, Committee on the Present Danger China. Frank Gaffney's running that day-to-day. You can also find out more about my activities on the uh, this nationalist populist site uh, that we run called... Uh, 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 citizens of the American Republic, you can go there. And Raheem, uh, congratulations on the uh, launch of Human Events. 
uh, we, in this uh, movement, we need uh, the magazine and the website to work. It couldn't have a better uh, a better editor than you. So uh, great, great. I go there multiple well, the, times. Steve, the there's day. no need to lie. Great. And good luck. <laughs> no, Thanks so much. You know, I'd be the first to tell you. I'd be the first to tell you he was, was wasn't working. Tell the audience every day I get you. Hey, what's the traffic? Yeah, <laughs> just like the old. It day. is. It is. Uncle Steve's looking after me. Stephen K. Bannon, there. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Thanks, and in the next bro. segment, ladies and gentlemen, I will be walking you through further of what's going on in Europe at the moment in the European parliamentary elections that are closing in real quick. And why does it matter to you? You're going to find out right after this break. Welcome back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, the global editor-in-chief of humanevents.com, Reagan's favorite magazine, broadcasting live from Los Angeles. We just heard from Stephen K. Bannon there talking about the U.S.-China trade war. If you missed it, if you're just tuning in, you're going to want to go to bucksexton.com after the show ends at 9 p.m. Eastern and listen back. Steve talking about uh, what victory looks like for the U.S. in that um, in that China trade war. And importantly... What's happening in Europe at the moment? Because I think a lot of people don't recognize, realize just how important what takes place in the European parliamentary elections ooh, in just nine days' time actually is and will be for U.S. policy towards the European Union. And there are so many things that the United States does with the European Union. Of course, many EU members are also NATO member states, not paying their fair share, as you well know. There are also a lot of European policies, regulatory policies, financial uh, industry policies that have ramifications in the U.S. too. There are digital privacy policies, GDPR, for those of you who have gone onto websites when you're abroad and not been able to get to them, that's GDPR for you. Um, And those of you who see those little pop-up notifications on the bottom of some websites that say, to be aligned with the European Union's regulatory standards, we have to now do this, this, and this, and this with your data. All of that and so, so, so much more, not least with regards immigration policy. You know, Viktor Orban, the uh, Hungarian prime minister, he was in the Oval Office uh, this week, yesterday, maybe. The days, they all they all mesh together now. Orban was one of the guys that put up the fence, big, tall, razor wire fence, Day one, when the migrant crisis started, he said, nope, I'm protecting my country. This isn't a free-for-all. No matter what Angela Merkel says, not everyone can come and live in Europe. And rightly so, in my estimation. But Orban had been frozen out of coming to the White House since, I think, about 2005 was the last time that he was invited. Now, Hungary, you might say, isn't that important a country in the grand scheme of things. But actually, Hungary is proof of concept on a lot of things. Hungary, alongside Israel, being proof of concept that walls work for a start. Hungary also being one of the member states uh, of, of NATO, which is committed to increasing its contribution. Hungary also one of the philosophically aligned countries to President Trump and the Trump administration. And in the next, uh, in the next hour, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in Britain with Brexit at the moment as well and how that has ramifications for the United States audience as well. Because if you had told me that Nigel Farage might have a chance of being Prime Minister or Deputy Prime Minister, that's my old boss, by the way. Think about having Steve Bannon and Nigel Farage as your old bosses. Stressful. You know, if if you'd said he could be Prime Minister, 
I would have I would have said there's more likelihood of me donning a pair of red cowboy boots. Just not going to happen. But it turns out that that might be something, you know. I'm going to talk about that and a whole lot more in the next segments. Remember, the phone line here, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Raheem Kassam filling in, occupying the Freedom Heart here in Los Angeles. You can check my work out on my new magazine or old magazine that we just bought, humanevents.com. It's Reagan's favorite magazine. Been making some waves recently. If you're interested, even if you're not interested, go on over to humanevents.com. I guarantee you'll be interested by the time you get to the end of it. We had a great first hour on the show. If you missed out, you're going to want to listen back. We had Dr. Cher Garrison of the Concerned Women of America talking about this new Equality Act that the Democrats are trying to railroad through Congress, opening the door quite literally um, for transgender bathroom usage, males using female bathrooms, females using males. You know, the the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez line of running train on this uh, legislative agenda is becoming more and more, sounding more and more, and being realized as more and more nefarious as time goes on. Plenty of action to take. Uh, As regards the Concerned Women for America, you can go to their website if you're interested in that issue. We also had Stephen K. Bannon on talking about all things China trade war. In case you forgot, Stephen K. Bannon was the chief strategist in the the White House and the uh, CEO of the Trump campaign in 2016. I'm delighted to be joined now by uh, by another chap who's going to be joining us to talk about this Equality Act. You see, I am such a believer in equality that we had both a female and a male's voice on this topic. Ladies and gentlemen, have you met Terry Schilling? Welcome to the show, Terry. Hey, Raheem. How are you? Thanks. And I, and I, I do identify as male, and I am biologically male. Well, wow, good to know. As, as they would call it. <laughs> good to know. Um, the uh, American Principles Project is where Terry does most of his work. Um, Terry, you'll forgive me. What's the website again? AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Real there simple. There you go. There you go. You see, now, if you like what Terry says over the course of the next uh, 10 minutes, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org is where you can go to find out more. Terry, uh, impress them. What, what What is going on with this Equality Act? How is this sneaking kind of beneath the radar? I'm not really seeing this on television. Um, you guys, obviously, at the American Principles Project, the Concerned Women for America, and a couple of other groups, even some left-wing groups, as Dr. Cher Garrison uh, told us uh, in the last hour, uh, banging on about this now in, in all the right ways. Tell us about this, what it means, and where are you guys approaching this issue from? So, look, the, the main problem with the Equality Act is it, uh, it's kind of a Trojan horse uh, for a lot of bad things. And what they're making it out to be is a pro-gay rights bill that uh, protects uh, gay people and bisexual people from discrimination, from you know being fired for being gay or being discriminated against, etc. Uh, but the real problem is, is that it includes this uh, really ambiguous term, uh, gender identity. It doesn't mm. define gender identity. So 
um, for your listeners that aren't really that familiar, gender identity is not related, apparently. It's not related to your biological sex. So I'm a male. I identify as a male. But there's nothing stopping me from saying to you, Raheem, I now identify as a female. And then having all of the rights that females apply. And, and the reason that this is majorly problematic is because of uh, such areas such as uh, battered women's shelters, mm. uh, showers, locker rooms, especially with female sports. You know, I mean, men have this natural advantage when it comes to athletics uh, where we can just... Whoa, 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 whoa. Terry, Terry, Terry. Firstly, you're not allowed to say that anymore. I'm sending the police around. I am calling the police. Secondly, I have to say, I've seen you playing sport and you do not have a more natural ability than most women. Oh, come on. You haven't seen (laughs) tennis yet. I am a phenomenal... I might be able to be um, Venus Williams, to be honest. I'm uh, a very, I'm a very good lacrosse player. <laughs> no, I, you know, so what's what's happening now is in high school, these uh, young guys are identifying as female, and they're mm. getting into track, and they're just destroying these female records. Well, because you know, men just have natural athletic ability that women don't. Um, just today, actually, on RT.com. Uh, a uh, male who identifies as a female uh, had his uh, his uh, records uh, re- uh, revoked from him. He uh, this power lifter, uh, transgender female who's really a male, broke like four uh, female powerlifting records in one day, and he had all of those revoked because they did a uh, a hormone test, and the hormones showed that he was really a man. Uh, mm. So. Look, there, there, there's, there's a lot of bad implications here, and the Equality Act is just a bad bill. Look, if you ask the American people, should someone be fired for being gay, uh, they're going to say no. They should be protected. But if you ask the average person, hey, uh, if a kindergarten teacher uh, comes out as transgender, should that teacher really be able to teach kindergartners? 90% of them are going to say no. Uh, and so, you know, look, if the Democrats were really good-willed about this, they take the gender identity part out of it and just get some protections for LGB uh, members of their community. Uh, but that's not really what this is about. This is a social engineering bill. It's a complete and unmitigated disaster. And uh, I'm really worried about there, there's about 14 Republicans that uh, are rumored to be supporting it, which is just pathetic. Just pathetic. Well, let's go into that. I don't know if you know those 14 off the top of your head, or if you can tell us any of them. Is it sort of the usual suspects? Who are we talking about here? Well, I mean, we're, you know, it's the obvious people. It's, you know, the least the fanics. It's, uh, you know, the, the most surprised, the two most surprising ones that I've heard that are flirting with uh, voting for this are Will Hurd and um, Justin Amash. Mm. You know, Justin Amash, uh, He's a libertarian, but uh, I'm getting a lot of intel that he's thinking about voting for this. Absolutely bizarre. Terry, um, if ordinary people out there want to do something about it, what can they do? Where can they go? Tell them, tell them everything. The best thing you guys can do is call your member of Congress, especially if they're a Republican, and urge them to vote no. And vote on a, on a clean bill, a good bill that, you know, if you really support um, gay rights, and you don't think people should be fired for being gay, they should support a clean bill where there's obvious consensus uh, and obvious science um, and say that, you know, gay people can't be fired for their jobs or from their jobs for being gay. 
but take out this gender identity nonsense. It's totally crazy. It's insane and uh, has no business being added into the civil rights law, which was, you know, created to protect black Americans who were being legitimately discriminated against. Uh, so contact your member of Congress, go to AmericanPrinciplesProject.org, and uh, sign up to get our email updates. We send out all types of voter alerts. There you go. Terry Schilling there. Thank you so much. I know you're a busy boy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show today. Hey, stay beautiful, Raheem. We love you. Always and forever. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is the great uh, Terry Schilling there. The phone lines here are open, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Got so much more fire throughout the show to bring you. We've got Mike Morrison up next, who is, or was, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez parody account, AOC Press, on Twitter, recently banned. You may have seen me on Fox a couple of times in the last week. You may have read some articles on humanevents.com. We are going after this tech censorship issue in a mighty, mighty big way because if we don't do it now, nobody's going to do it for us when we've all been bound and gagged by our tech overlords in Silicon Valley right here in California where I sit right now. This is the Buck Sexton Show. We're going to go to a quick break. When we're back, Mike Morrison, I want more of your calls, ladies and gentlemen, so get on the lines. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Raheem Kassam here, the Global Editor-in-Chief of HumanEvents.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Raheem Kassam. It's R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M. And my next guest is somebody who you can't follow on Twitter anymore. Uh, Mike Morrison was the account holder of a at AOC Press on Twitter, as well as his own account, Office of Mike. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Raheem. Thank you for having me on. Mike, I know I know you're a nervous person when it comes to media, but does my voice soothe you that we you know we know each other? I wouldn't say we're friends, but we know each other. You don't feel nervous, do you? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> well, we we go easy on you, Mike. This isn't a gotcha interview. Um, tell us, <laughs> Mike, what um, what was AOC Press on Twitter, and why did the geniuses in Silicon Valley decide that you weren't allowed to have your account anymore, which was a parody of uh, the the left wing Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio Cortez? So AAC Press was a Twitter account created to mock the stupidity of AOC and to make jokes and tweet about things which sound like things that she could have said. And Twitter seemed like that they thought too many people were taking it for the real thing. So despite it saying that it was a parody account in two places, they decided that that wasn't enough, and it was still fooling people because she is that dumb, and they decided that that account <laughs> had to go. Well, we have to make very clear here that the Buck Sexton Show does not institutionally believe that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, quote, that dumb. <laughs> Mike Morrison. I think we might. Uh, I think I just got the, the producer telling me I think we might actually. <laughs> I want to I make very clear I think she is... She is right up there. She is, you know, she's one of the, the, the I can't even do it. Um, Mike, you know, when it comes to the tech censorship thing, Twitter claims to accept parody. But as you say, you put parody in, in your title. 
uh, of the account. It said AOC Press brackets parody. And it, you also had it in the bio, in the biography of the account. So people couldn't have been under the impression that it was anything but a parody account. So why do you think this has happened? And, and give us, if you can, a little bit of context around what else has happened in the past couple of weeks. Because we've had many, many right-wingers who are banned off Twitter, off Facebook, off Instagram... And it's not just them. It's not just the big wigs. It's not just the talking heads. It's not just the media personalities. Ordinary people, right? Like, like honestly, like yourself, Mike. You know, you're not you're not really a politics guy. You don't work in politics. You're a private individual. You thought it would be funny to start up a parody account. Just just talk to us about all of that and and how that portends um, for the American commitment to freedom of speech. So, yeah, I mean, this trend already started a while back, like you said. It started with people like um, Alex Jones and even a little bit before that with uh, Milo and people like that. And it's been going sort of like they, they're starting at different levels. You know, they pick someone radical like Alex Jones, a very controversial figure. This is the InfoWars host. And, yeah, Alex Jones InfoWars uh, host, and they picked him off. And then they slowly, slowly moved down the list of people, like less and less controversial. You know, then they went for the Laura Loomer. And then they went for Jacob Wall. And then, mm. you know, they're going down the list. And then they took my account. I mean, anyone who knows me from Twitter knows that I'm a pretty tame guy on Twitter. My only crime was that I was running a parody account mocking the new Democratic queen. <laughs> Or the or the or the new the new Disney princess of the Democrat Party, uh, Mike. What is the recourse yeah. when you when you get your account banned? Um, what steps can you take? So that's also the 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 I think a big problem of of what I think with the social media censorship and stuff like that. That mm. I received a, a generic email stating that my account has been suspended. Now I've spent two years on the platform, building up a following, building up people who are interested in my content. And, mm. and then I ran that parody as well and built that up as well. And I mean, the least that they should do for someone who's added some sort of value to their company, um, reach out to me, let me know that I've, I'm doing something wrong. Let me know how I can fix it. It's just like without any warning, without any communication, just an email, your account has been banned and it will not be reinstated. That was the email I received. And then when I appealed this, it, they said uh, it was basically another generic email with a few extra words thrown in there just to make it sound like something different. And this is happening to so many people at the moment. As I say, Mike, it's not just people who who have big followings or, or are big personalities in any way, shape or form. And it, it feels a lot to me like election meddling. It feels like the, the ban hammer is being wielded at a speed, at a rate, that it that it hasn't been over the last couple of years. It feels like as we creep towards those 2020 elections, the social media giants, whether they're doing it as, as, a, as a cartel, where they're all coming together and, and, and thinking about these rules themselves, or whether they're doing it um, alone or, or at least by just sort of taking inspiration from one another, it feels like this is to ensure that the president, the president's supporters, the president's messages can reach fewer and fewer people as we get closer and closer to the election next year, would you would you agree with that? And 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 you know, just talk a little bit about the scale of this because 
These people aren't people with sort of 10,000, 20,000 followers. These are people with hundreds of thousands and millions of followers out there. And then they they have their followers uh, retweet them. And, it, and it, there's a massive, massive uh, filter effect as to how this sort of goes goes out there to not just in the United States, but, but abroad as well. Yeah, you're 100% spot on with that. And... I, I've been saying this, that by them taking down my account, it wasn't that large of an account. I had about 60,000 followers on my personal account. Mm. By them taking down just that one account, they've done more election meddling than any of those Russian bots that they claimed have been infiltrating on social media to affect the outcome of the election. And it's not going to stop. They took me down, and then they took down um, um, David Horowitz, and they mm. reinstated him. They took him down again, and then... Carpe Donctum, who's, uh, I guess we could call him the secretary of memes for the president. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is the guy that makes, this is, well, let's just explain Carpe Donctum for people, uh, Mike, because not everybody is like you and you and me who, who is glued to our computers and our phones all day. Carpe Donctum makes these funny parody videos, these meme style videos where he superimposes people's heads on other people from movies and things like that. And it's, it's actually got to the point where Carpe Donctum's memes, his videos, have been tweeted out by the President of the United States before and had massive, massive, I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of impressions over the past couple of months. They've suspended him too. Yeah, so they suspended his account, and then that was after a coordinated effort by the Krasenstein brothers, who are paid trolls to troll every one of Trump's tweets. They mm -hmm. went ahead and they had all their followers mass report a meme video of Trump doing something violent toward Jim Acosta, who is the White House correspondent for CNN. And well, he didn't though, and, and that's and, and, and that's entirely and that's entirely the point. You see, you see, the, the video in question here, and, and I know this might sound sort of insular internet talk to a lot of people out there, uh, but actually, this is one of the major communications messages that helped President Trump win in 2016. You know, going around the mainstream media and going straight to the American people um, with 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 memes. Listen, Mike, we're at the end of the segment here, so I've got to, I've got to love you and leave you, I'm afraid. But um, Mike, since his ban has become a contributor to humanevents.com, we've had him write uh, an article for us about his ban last week. And Mike, it, you're going to be filing another one in the next day or so with us uh, as well. So Mike Morrison, thank you so much for joining us. And make sure, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you look out for that, uh, that um, op-ed by Mike coming in the next few days. It's going to be legendary. Mike, thanks again. Thank you, Raheem, for having me on. Yeah, no problem, always. And and I just want to conclude that thought, is that, is that this, this is election meddling. There cannot be any confusion about this. Twitter, Facebook, Google, Instagram. I'm going to get into that a little bit more with you guys as well, maybe in the next segment. Stay tuned. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. This is Raheem Kassam broadcasting live from Los Angeles. I'm giving you my Twitter account. I always give you my Twitter account. I'm giving you my, uh, my Facebook page as well. If you want to follow my work, it's Raheem Kassam, R-A-L-L. <laughs> uh, there's no L. R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M. You can find me on all sorts of the social media type things. 
I think I hope we have a uh, we have a caller on the line. I want to go to line one. Um, let's uh, let's bring him in. Yeah, we have uh, Bill from Oregon here. It's Bill. Bill from Oregon. Yes, this is Bill. How are you doing there, I have there, a question Bill? for you. You go right ahead. You know, the left, the left is suffering from mass hysteria now. I yep. really feel they are. Yep. What, um, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is pushing you to that conclusion right now? But give me, a, give, me a, give me a punch list of things that you think is, okay. is, is hysterical. Cool. All right. Now it's gender identity. Mm-hmm. That's one of the latest ones. You know, mass hysteria is one step from insanity. And these people have control of our government. Well, I mean, you know, we, we, I think a lot of us, and I was in this movie, I don't know if you saw it, Bill, it was called Trump at War that came out before the midterm elections. We were warning in that movie, and it's a very short movie, you can still find it online, that this is exactly the thing, the type of thing that would happen if the Democrats took control of Congress. Why, Bill, did the American people allow the Democrats to take hold of Congress, knowing what they knew then about what the, what the agenda was going to be? I mean, what do you have to say about those people who put the Rashida Tlaibs and the Elan Omars and the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes and keep it clean, Bill, but what do you have to say to those people, your fellow countrymen and women? What I think of them, they are like a pack of sheep. They're just being led down this road. How do we lead them back the other way? If, if, if I said to you, Bill, you're in charge of the 2020 Trump campaign, what is the first thing you would do and have the president do to bring those people back from the crazy brink? We have to get to them somehow. We have to convince them what is going on before it's too late. And, and, and I think that's a really important point. Bill, what does is, what is too late look like? Does it, does, is it this equality act that we've been talking about on, the case, uh, on this show? Is it open borders? You know, there's all sorts of these crazy things. Is it the Green New Deal? There's all these crazy things that the Democrats are pushing right now. What does too late look like? Because I get, I've got to tell you, I've got a lot of my American friends who thinks, think it's already too late. The, the road is already set. Right. Oh, you've been talking about the Green Deal. Okay. Does people understand what the carbon atom actually does in the atmosphere? I don't think they do. It has a pur- It has a purpose. Why is it? Go ahead. Bill, you still with us? I think we may have lost Bill there. Bill, I, I, I appreciate the frustration. I mean, it's a frustration I think a lot of people are feeling outside of the uh, uh, major cities, outside of Washington, D.C., outside of New York, outside of... Um, Los Angeles, which unfortunately are three of the cities that I have to spend most of my time in. Um, but I sense the frustration out there when talking to ordinary people and looking at this stuff. You know, they see it on the nightly news and it's almost sort of a, like a, a rubbing your eyes, I can't believe this is actually happening in my country sort of thing. And and I feel for you because, you know, I'm obviously, as you can probably hear from my accent, not from here. And we experienced this long ago. We're now at the point where three-year-olds in our classrooms are being taught about transgender issues. That's where that's where my country, where Britain is at the moment. And and I, I feel the pain of hearing people going, well, what on earth is going on out there? And this is why I think also the um, the homeschooling issue is such a such a big boon to not not American conservatism. We've got to get get that out of our heads. It's not just the right that thinks a lot of these things are nuts. You know, there's a great swathe of people who identify in the middle as independents on the political left 
who also think that this is nuts. I mean, Dr. Cher Garrison was telling us in the first part of this show that they've got some revolutionary leftists who are joining in their criticism of the Equality Act, the act that would allow me to just walk in to a women's changing room and say, I identify as a woman now, you're not allowed to question me. So I think that there is, there is this strain of most of America, or at least I bloody well hope there is, that finds this stuff repugnant and repulsive and reprehensible and regrettable, and that's a lot of our words. I also want to talk to you guys a little bit about what we left off just before the last break, just before we had that great call from Bill there. Um, We're talking about with Mike Morrison, the digital stuff. And this leads one to the other, because I'll tell you something right now. A couple of days before we were going to launch, relaunch, Um, the Human Events website. And for those of you that don't know, it's the oldest conservative magazine in the country. 75 years old. It was Reagan's favorite magazine. And we bought it at the beginning of this year. My business partner, Will, and I, we bought it at the beginning of this year. We were relaunching it um, on May the 1st. And three days before, two days before the launch, the relaunch, Facebook banned me, suspended me, rather, for three days, just conveniently, as we're about to do a massive push on across all digital media for something that had cost us a lot of time and a lot of money and we've gone to a lot of effort to bring back this great conservative magazine they suspended my account and they suspended the account and they said it, it was because i called somebody dumb and i went on tucker carlson that night and we talked about it it was great you can find it on youtube <laughs> right but then as as the ban rescinded after three days i got a personal email in fact i didn't plan to do this but i'm going to bring this email up in my email right now and, and read it to you guys, because I think it's completely extraordinary, because it was unsolicited, and it was from a person at Facebook. Now, those of you who have contended with an issue like this before know it's very difficult to find someone at Facebook, a human being, to interact with. And I'll read you this now. It's from a lady. I'm not going to read her name out. I don't want people sending her hate mail or anything like that. It's from a lady, and she says, unsolicited, remember? Hi, Raheem. Hello. We do not allow hate speech on Facebook because it creates an environment of intimidation and exclusion, and in some cases may promote real-world violence. We define hate speech as a direct attack on people based on what we call protected characteristics, race, ethnicity, national origin, religious affiliation, sexual orientation, sex, gender, gender identity, and serious disability or disease. We also provide some protections for immigration status. We define attack as violent or dehumanizing speech, statements of inferiority, or calls for exclusion or segregation. We separate attacks into three tiers of severity, as described below. Sometimes people share content containing someone else's hate speech for the purpose of raising awareness or educating others. Similarly, in some cases, words or terms that might otherwise violate our standards are used self-referentially or in an empowering way. When this is the case, we allow the content. We expect people to clearly indicate their intent, which helps us better understand why they shared it. Where the intention is unclear, we may remove the content. We allow humor and social commentary related to these topics. In addition, we believe that people are more responsible when they share this kind of commentary using their authentic identity. Yours, blah, blah, blah. And what they got me on, or what they thought they got me on, what they sent to me back was a screenshot of a a comment I had made on my page in 2008 where it just says, men can't be women. So they pulled that back from 11 years ago and said, gotcha, you intolerant bigot. You may not use our platform. Well, I'll say it here. Men can't be women. And Facebook can't suspend me here. I actually sent them a very, very snarky email back, which I'm minded to read you in the next segment. Um, yes, I think, I think that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to save it for the next segment. 
It's very funny. You're going to enjoy it. So make sure you don't touch that dial, lever, knob, easel, whatever, whatever noozle, whatever you call it. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We're going to be right back after this short break. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show. This is Raheem Kassam broadcasting live from Los Angeles here. Before the break, I was reading for you uh, an email that I got from Facebook. Quite an extraordinary email, I thought, um, especially regarding protected categories, protected classes. This is a, and here's the thing, when we talk about this issue, a lot of conservatives balk because we're talking effectively about perhaps, potentially, using some kind of antitrust laws or using some kind of regulatory power or at least legislative power um, to stop this tech tyranny going on. And it is a tyranny. Let's be very clear about this. Before I bring in a caller, Felix in Pennsylvania, I just want to set the stage here. Facebook has 2.3 billion, billion monthly active users. WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, has 1.6 billion monthly users. Messenger, the Facebook Messenger app, 1.3 billion monthly users. Instagram, growing, but 1 billion monthly users. Now, that is an awful lot of people using just one company to communicate. Compare that and contrast that to their competitors in the market. Snapchat has 287 million monthly users. Twitter only has 330 million monthly users. Reddit, 330 million monthly users. LinkedIn, 303 million monthly users. TikTok, the ones that the one that kids are using nowadays, 500 million monthly users. And the, the one that's sort of the big one that isn't Facebook owned is YouTube at 1.9 billion monthly active users, but a slightly different platform, a video platform, not a messenger um, or publisher in, in the same sense. I want to bring in uh, Felix on the lines from Pennsylvania. Felix, you with us? Yes. Hello, Raheem. Hey, it's a real pleasure to hear you. Uh, Pleasure's all mine. I Go really right ahead. W- I really want to throw some blame at the conservatives. You know, um, a while, for a long time, they've been saying these companies, you know, they're private entities and they have the right to do whatever they want. I'm sorry, but to trample on your constitutional rights and the Constitution through these corporations, this should not be allowed. Freedom of speech should be freedom of speech, you know, and that should be protected. And these public platforms are the only place that you could go. So now the phone company is going to be able to decide, you know, what you can say over the telephone. It's basically the same thing. And also, too, this whole thing about, you know, deciding what's hate speech. I'm sorry. I, I think freedom, freedom of speech means freedom of speech. And the All right. There's a lot here. to, Felix, there's a lot to unpack there, and I want to I get your thoughts on, on more of it, because it sounds to me like you've been following this issue for some time, because let me tell you something. I share my frustration, uh, the frustration that you, you so eloquently put it, uh, with conservatives on this issue. You know, we have a lot of people out there still saying, but Raheem, these are private companies. You can't expect them to let you use your their platform. This is, this is you know, you agree to the terms of service. You agree to them harvesting all your data and selling it on to other companies. You agree to all of that, and you can't then expect anything else in return. That's, that's market capitalism, Felix. Let me tell you something. For everybody out there that thinks like that, would you, as Felix says, would you uh, uh, stand by and let your phone company, without incident, would you let them take you off the network because they listened into your call and they didn't like something you were saying? Would you allow a private corporation to own 
every road or every public area in the United States and police who can be there and who can say what they like based on what they think, based on what their religious affiliation is or based on what their political affiliation is, based on how they vote. You wouldn't. You wouldn't accept that. And the digital square is no different from the public square. Yes, fine. We started this. Go ahead, Felix. Uh, and, you know, well, here's another one. You know, they're saying that employers can decide that, you know, they're going to get the Second Amendment, that they will have the right not to hire you if, if you own firearms. You know, right. Look, if you're, if you're exercising your I mean, constitutional... worm. If you're exercising a constitutional right, you can be fired from your job, apparently, now as well. Felix, we've got to leave it there, but I thank you for the great call. Felix is absolutely right. I mean, and I take so much, so much umbrage with people out there who, who just want to roll over and die. On this issue, who just want to say, you know, we lost this war, we lost the digital war, we're not going to get these platforms back, we've got to go and start our own platforms. Okay, cool. Um, why don't you go and start your own internet? Let me know how that works out for you. Because this isn't about Facebook or Google or YouTube or whatever, it's about what all of them are together. And what all of them are together are effectively the internet, are effectively social media. Yes, you can have little apps popping up here and there, Parley and Gab and all these ones. Yes, they exist, fine. But but when you get to the point where these guys, in conjunction with the financial services like Stripe and PayPal and all of these other things and MasterCard and the processing payment services, and then you got Uber and Lyft banning Laura Luma and Uber Eats banning Laura Luma. I mean, what, what threat does Laura Luma, uh, this, this young conservative journalist, what threat does she pose to Uber Eats? If she wants to get a falafel delivered to her house at 3 a.m. in the morning, what is that any business of theirs to say, we don't like your politics, therefore we're removing you from our app? You know, that's how far it's already gone. So to those people out there, and, and by the way, I want to make a full and open declaration on this show right now. I've never done it before, but let me say something to you. I used to say that. I used to say these are private platforms. There's nothing we can do about it. But there is. There's a lot we can do about it. You know, Teddy Roosevelt trust busted when there was clear monopolistic, oligopolistic, cartelized power in the United States. Ronald Reagan wielded the hammer of government when the telecommunications companies were becoming too big, too unwieldy, and too hard to hold to account. So let's not say that we can't do it. And let's also not say that it isn't conservative to do it. Because what is conservatism? Conservatism isn't an ideology. It's not this blind fealty to market forces and market values. And anybody who thinks it is has not picked up a book that hasn't been written in the last 20 or 30 years. And I suggest you go back through the history and through the philosophy and, and, and through the, the um, epistemological roots of conservatism and school yourself. Because listen, you are not going to conserve anything if you allow these Silicon Valley nut jobs to tell you what you can and can't say and what you can and can't believe. Fundamentally, if you do that, you are rolling over. And on that note, I want to read you my reply email to this woman from Facebook. I said, and I said her name in return, said, Dear X, thank you for the clarification. I am curious as to under which guise you are defining said post as hate speech, particularly as you outline yourself that religious affiliation is a protected category. You will note that my original post was made in 2008. And here's the kicker, guys. At the time, I was expressing a view based on my Muslim faith. And I, I, I suppose, you know, back then I probably was still, at least in some way, a practicing Muslim. I'm not anymore, for those wondering. Um, 
your attack on my religious beliefs can therefore be constituted as hate speech themselves, can they not? Furthermore, you will note that at no point have I called for the exclusion of anyone nor the persecution. Quite the opposite. My approach to this issue is predicated on statistical information that reveals that those of trans persuasions are no less likely to suffer depression and suicide than those who do not adhere to a current gender dysphoria proposition of changing their gender status. It would logically follow, based on your suppositions, that Facebook's position is both anti-Islam and pro-suicide. If that is the case, I would be keen to know, as would the world. That was my letter to Facebook. This is The Buck Sexton Show. We'll be right back after this break. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back. It's The Buck Sexton Show. I'm filling in for Buck Sexton today. My name is Raheem Kassam, the Global Editor-in-Chief of HumanEvents.com for all your conservative magazine needs. I'll do a little bit of a, little bit of a plug for Human Events as well. Uh, we had a great, uh, great article today written by our next guest, Dave Riboy, who's a good friend of mine, a fellow fellow at the uh, Claremont Institute. Dave joins us on the line now. Dave, thank you. Hello, hello. Hey, buddy, how hey, are you? Hey, Dave. It's so great, to, so great to have you on, not least because I think I'm now talking to the, the new face, uh, the new anti-face of Chips Ahoy. Is that right? Those, those what you called the cardboard cookies in your article? Yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, if Chips Ahoy decides that, uh, that it wants to run a, a really provocative new campaign, I guess, uh, I guess I'm available. Um, <laughs> just, uh, tell tell they, people, they tell people. Tell people who haven't heard of this, because you were kind of trending, you were kind of viral this morning, um, having having seen this. In fact, what we're going to do, Dave, just to tee this up, we're going to play clip 16, which is the the sure. advertisement that Chips Ahoy released for Mother's Day of a, of a trans person talking about buying Chips Ahoy for your mother for Mother's Day. And then we're going to we're going to see how all this played out. Let's play clip 16. Y'all know what we celebrating today? Mother's Day. And I am so thankful to have a mother like mine who supports me through all my craziness and loves on me and buys me Chips Ahoy cookies, Chewy, the original, everything under the sun. My mom knows I love my cookies. So get those cookies. And what's the sweet gesture for you to do to your mama, your real mama, your drag mama, whichever mama, somebody, whoever take care of you, whoever you feel or consider your mama, it's their day today. Get them a cookie or two, a pack. Buy them all the chips of hoys in the world. I don't know. Or get some milk. Get her some milk, too. You can't buy the cookie without some milk, honey. Get those cookies. It's Mother's Day. It's time to celebrate, love, all that. Cookies. Get them. And if you don't, how you going to celebrate Mother's Day? It's the new chocolates. Meow. I don't think I'll be buying what, chips Ahoy after that. What the heck was that? Really? <laughs> like, what the heck? Seriously. What the heck was that, and who was that marketed towards? So right, right. Well, you tell you tell me. You tell me. Yeah, You're the American. I, cookies, cookies are in your constitution, <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure they're in the Declaration of Independence. Dave, what was that about? Look, I got, I saw that, and immediately I thought to myself, you know what? I just, I want to do some kind of protest against this, um, this, uh, this kind of woke advertising BS. Which, mm. which is, um, it's, it's kind of a trend now. Um, I, it, it, it's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like ad companies and, um, and, and corporations have, have just kind of, um, have, have just gone rogue and decided, you know what, um, 
you know, let's give the middle finger to our customers and let's just cater exclusively to, you know, ultra woke progressives and, um, and, and generate controversy by, by doing things like this, by, by provoking, you know, the average, the average person. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, Chips Ahoy needs to do a, um, you know, a, 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 a wholesome Norman Rockwell Americana Mother's Day ad. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like, I am. you know, <laughs> I mean, why, why do you need to shove, to shove a drag queen down the throat of, and, and you know what, frankly, a semi-literate drag queen with all these kind of absurd affectations that, 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 you know, that, that make no sense to me, but I guess they make sense to someone. And Sorry, like, I, just, I just, well, on Madison Avenue, you know, it, everyone dresses in, in cross-dressing anyway. And I realize that on this show already, I've said two incorrect things, because a drag queen isn't a transgender, right? And so, and I describe this person as transgender, but apparently this is just drag. Um, and then I just said cross-dressing, which I imagine is totally offensive and beyond the pale, and that the LAPD will be turning up at my hotel room tonight to, to, to take me in, um, as it were. Dave, Dave, how far does this need to go? You because there's, you there's, I'm so- going to say, I'm going to say something like Uh-oh. maybe a little controversial here. Uh oh. But I think, I think it was a better country when, um, when we did not have to know. We were not required, almost by law, um, to know the difference between trans, drag, um, crossdresser, etc. Mm. You know, I mean, all this, all this terminology. Hey. If, if people want to use this terminology, that's fine. If people want to know what it is, that's fine. But um, but uh, setting the bar at at being in polite, acceptable society, virtuous society, um, as as having to kind of know and understand and embrace these things, mm. I think it's wrong. And, well, your and, your and, article. Uh, your article on human events today, I remember the line that made me guffaw the most was, was close to the end, the penultimate paragraph. You said, interestingly, the gradual cultural normalization of what was once the province of fetish and kink has accelerated, and rather than making culture more interesting and provocative, it's made these once taboo things utterly dull, commercialized, and gratingly performative. And I think that was that was the kicker, because you've had Gillette doing it, you've had other companies doing it, and you know, there's an old Latin saying, Dave, Get woke, go broke. When are these companies going to start seeing the the uh, bottom line eventualities of doing this stuff? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's got to come soon. Um, it it really has to come soon because uh, because they all seem to be completely um, they all seem to be completely um, you know off the off the deep end until I mean you know how these things go you know it goes forever until it doesn't and then and then you know and then you might you may see a see a shift but I think really they're 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 so impervious to what the average person thinks because mm. they see, they see they see us frankly they see us as animals that uh, you know who are um, who are not even fit to hold an opinion you know if we disagree with, with if we disagree with the most um, you know you know quote unquote forward thinking progressive radical <laughs> um, you know social cultural policy then then we're we're haters and we're vicious and evil and and we shouldn't even you know, we, we shouldn't even be given a platform in which to speak. So, so of course, they're not even going to listen to our objections or the objections of most of their customers. They'll, they'll discount it entirely. Um, I mean, what, what this says about the future, I'm, I'm not sure. I think, I mean, I'm confident there will be, a, be a, you know, some kind of backlash when this just gets to be too much because it is of a piece with deplatforming. It is of a piece with censorship. Um, 
and and um, and a sense that I, I mentioned the uh, the Caitlyn Jenner episode in, um, mm. in in the piece also because I really think that that sort of that was a turning point in in 2016 I think early 2016 where kind of culturally we went from thinking that the trans thing was kind of weird niche thing that that you know people did um and and kind of overnight the media tells us that if we don't embrace this as the most wonderful um you know evolution in in society then then we're some we're, then we're monsters um i think immediately a lot of people sort of looked around and they thought what just happened to my country right and what right. just what just happened to you know more importantly, like what just happened to my, you know, Western civilization, and um, and well, you're not allowed you know, to say that uh, anymore. No, no, you're no. <laughs> sure, you're you're certainly not allowed to say Western civilization. That's uh, that's that's needlessly uh, provocative. And you know, on the one hand, they tell us that it's the most evil thing in the world to say. On the yeah. other hand, they tell us that it doesn't exist and it never did. Well, no, and on the third hand, because, you know, if, you can be, if a man can be a woman, then I can have a third hand. Um, on Why the third not? hand, uh, <laughs> it's better than a third leg. Uh, if on the third hand, Dave, you, um, you've also got them saying, well, we've got to let all these immigrants move to the West because the West is much better and safer and they get more rights and all of that. Well, you know, that came about because Western civilization came first in realizing that we weren't supposed to slaughter each other en masse and that we weren't supposed to, uh, uh, you know, oppress each other. It's probably not a good idea to throw gay people off the top of buildings and all of that stuff, right? And, and, and we're there and they still are in denial about all of it. Right. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, nothing lasts forever. And Dave, we've got to leave it there. I'm sorry, I, I ranted a little bit too long. But Dave, <laughs> tell, tell people where they can find your work, where they, can, where they can tweet at you and support you and all of that stuff. You, you can find me at Dave Reboy, D-A-V-E-R-E-A-B-O-I, uh, on Twitter. And uh, you can see my most recent piece at Human Events. Um, my, my most recent last two pieces of human events and then you can also see me at the Federalist and at securitystudies.org Thank you Dave Raboy this is the Buck Sexton Show my name's Raheem Kassam I'm joined now in studio by a good buddy of mine Matt Peterson from the Claremont Institute we're going to go to a quick break before we bring Matt in for more and more cultural commentary and cutting wit we'll be right back Welcome back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, the editor-in-chief, global editor-in-chief, sorry, pardon me, of humanevents.com. Joined in our makeshift studio. It's actually a pretty nice, uh, pretty clean studio here yeah. in, in Los Angeles. Is, yeah. is this Los Angeles? Is this still Los Angeles? You're, you're in the greater Los Angeles area. The greater yes. Los Angeles area. Let me tell you something. I walked <laughs> this, around a bit earlier. There's nothing is, greater about it. This is Sherman Oaks. Sherman Oaks. Um, Matthew Peterson. Do you prefer Matthew or Matt? Uh, Matt is fine. Matt is fine? No. It, well, what about Matthew? Is Matthew not fine? Matthew is good, too. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew is good, too. Is the Vice President for Education at the Claremont Institute and the editor... Is it editor or editor-in-chief? Uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't go with this global <laughs> editor type thing. but National? But it is, but it is yes, editor-in-chief, I, I guess you could say. Domestic editor-in-chief, then, of, <laughs> of, of the American <laughs> Mind, which is a great new publication of the Claremont Institute. And full disclosure, I'm a Lincoln Fellow at the Claremont Institute. It's AmericanMind.org, where they post um, some of the most thoughtful articles you'll ever read. But also, I, I'm, I'm led to believe some of the spiciest 
uh, articles based on what you're telling me, uh, what you're telling me in the break, Matt, about what you've been publishing today. We'll come to that in just a second. I know we've got a caller on the line, Josiah, in Maryland, who wants to have his say. Josiah, welcome to the show. Oh, we lost Josiah. Josiah, if you're out there, if you're still listening, uh, give us a call back. We're very keen to take points, counterpoints, whatever you got for us. Matt, I guess that throws it to you. You, you highlighted for me this American Mind article um, of Cre- Creed and Culture in Clown World. Yes. Written by the pseudonymous Andrea Yang for the AmericanMind.org. <laughs> yes. um, tell us about this article. What is it, what is it talking about? Uh, this is a, a, a young conservative, uh, someone who is... Uh, or, was a young conservative, someone who's obviously very intelligent, who works uh, within the swamp, and is, is writing an article in response to a conversation on American Mind about creed and culture. Mm. And, and uh, what we were talking about was you both need a, uh, a healthy culture, and that informs the creed or what you think the principles and purposes of your political life are, right, and vice versa. Those things interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so, so this article is uh, someone who's younger saying, Look, the, the right has, has to acknowledge that it's essentially failed. It has not achieved its goals, and now we live in a kind of clown world mm-hmm. uh, in, which, uh, in which there's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of funhouse mirrors everywhere you look, and it's very hard, she says, uh, for, as me, for me as a young person, to take it seriously. Mm. And, so, uh, and so she ends up advocating for uh, a, a radical rethinking of, of policy, in a, and in a way that I think is controversial to, to many of us. We were talking about this with Dave Raboy, um earlier in the in the hour, talking yeah. about how we've got to this point now where and I because I mislabeled something. I the the, the Chips Ahoy crossdresser yeah. who was advertising cardboard cookies for Mother's Day. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's a crossdresser, and I said trans, and apparently they're not the same thing. Um, uh-huh. And and so you know it's it, that's what the the what do you call it the the hall of mirrors yeah. is about right like yeah. I'm confused on a daily basis now and by the way if I meet someone in the street and I've got no problem like you know meeting a trans person and shaking their hand and just going about my day I don't care what you want to do right but if I meet them and I I wrongly label them or misgender them or call them a crossdresser or a transvestite or whatever, I'm in some real trouble now. I mean, in Canada, I'd be in real, real trouble. I'd be in yeah. legal trouble, right? But that's yeah. coming here to America. That's, oh, yeah. you know, the Equality Act that the Democrats are trying to pass at yeah. the moment basically undergirds all of that with legislation. Yes. Yeah, so uh, what you have is, um, is, uh, is clown world to be enforced, right? Mm. Uh, multiculturalism officially. And... Of course, by that term, they don't mean uh, many cultures coming together as one. Uh, they mean something very different. And what she says in this piece, I think, is instructive. Uh, this is at AmericanMind.org. Uh, she says, Clown world is used to describe instances of abasement that at any other point in history to any person of dignity would be regarded as incomprehensible, ev- incomprehensibly evil or stupid, so outrageous they must be a joke. So she says state-enforced sexual transition hormones for children, right? Drag queen story hour, voting rights for terrorists. And says this is Aristophanes with a shot of Nietzsche, some classical allusions to those who uh, still read old books. Uh, but she, then she goes on to, to complain that you have woke capital, right? You have these supposedly, this supposedly neutral free market in which mainstream and powerful institutions, banks and airlines, etc., are all, all getting in on political correctness and, and enforcing this kind of dogma on the rest of us. And I think what's, what's especially hateful to me about it is that 
is that the, the implication is if you don't keep up with all these fads, you somehow don't love your fellow citizens, right? Whereas the other side would say, no, we are one and we're equal as citizens. That's, that's how we should all be interacting, on that basis and not any other. That's how it used to be. And I've got to tell you, you know, the European situation, how, when was the last time you were in Europe, Matt? Uh, it was uh, the Cannes Film Festival in 2014, I believe. Oh, wow. I wish I, wish I could say the same, not least because I haven't been to Cannes <laughs> and I've been to, back to um, both the UK and Europe in the last uh, year on multiple occasions, and it's not getting better. The toothpaste cannot be put back in the tube now. You know, once this stuff has been mm. enshrined, as, as they're trying to do, as the Democrats are trying to do with the Equality Act right now, once this stuff is enshrined, you're, you're, there is literally no way to say, actually, we're reversing that trend. We no longer have to legally recognize all that. So it's just not possible, right? right? And it's the same argument, unfortunately, that I hear from time and time again from social conservatives. They say, oh, well, you know, we've got to reverse the same-sex marriage act good luck with that there is simply no national appetite for it yeah look i think that i think there's a there's a number of things going on i mean all of this stuff should be hashed out politically right we should debate as a people uh what we think uh certain the, the legal structure of the land should look like so uh you know there should be lots of deliberation and debate about controversial issue issues especially uh, to do with sexuality uh, but but i do think that there's a there's a danger here in enforcing this kind of thing from on high, and I think there's many on the left who understand this. When you when you rush to enforce things with say court decisions, you haven't organically changed everyone's mind. So I would say you see among um, among Generation Z kids, right, a, a very interesting difference. Mm -hmm. They haven't they haven't gone through the uh, normal brainwashing of the mainstream media and watched cable TV and et cetera their whole lives. And they think a little differently, sometimes radically, on these subjects. So I think there's a conversation well, that you we... You say radically, actually. Yeah. It's, not, it's actually conservative. They're thinking right. conservatively. Right, right. The, 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 you know, the radical thing to me is, is forcing me to know somebody's 20 different gender pronouns that they want to use on, on the 12 different occasions I meet them. Right. But these guys are actually returning to a little bit of orthodoxy as regards um, you know, rights are concerned, natural rights are concerned, and, and in the United States, of course, your constitutional values and rights um whereas the the you know the radical and and here's the funny thing about it matt and we've got we've got just uh, uh 60 seconds before we gotta we gotta go to break again but uh, I, I just i can't tell if it's because america doesn't really consume news from elsewhere in the world um because it doesn't you know frankly it's not i'm not making a value judgment over that it just isn't something yeah. that americans typically tend to do i can't tell if it's that or if it's just sort of this um, lackadaisical, yes, we'll survive anyway, regardless as to whether or not things like the Equality Act pass, that means people don't get up in arms about this. Because let me tell you something, if I was listening to this show, this radio show right now, I'd be thinking, wow, what a magnificent accent that chap has. But I'd also be thinking, <laughs> I want to call my congressmen, I want to call my senators, I want to stop this from happening. And it just seems that there's not much of that going on right now. That's the music. Um, you know I like the sound of my own voice, Matt, so I'll, I'll just talk us out here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. <laughs> Matt, we're going to have you for the next half an hour as well, so you're going to have plenty of time to have your say. This is The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, joined in studio by Matt Peterson, the Vice President of Education at the Claremont Institute and the editor of AmericanMind.org. 
Got it. Got it. Perfect. Matt, welcome to the show. Great to be welcome here. Welcome back to the show. You were here in the last segment, too. It's still great to be here. You were supposed to be here 30 minutes ago. You broke the bro code. It's great to be here now. <laughs> Matt, um, the reason I'm in town, one of the reasons I'm in town, one, yeah. of the, one of the two reasons I'm in town, one of the three, if you count the women, one of the <laughs> three reasons I'm in town is I was attending the Claremont Institute's 40th anniversary gala dinner on something night. Saturday. Yeah, all of them blend into one for me now yeah. at the moment. You know, long LA night. And it's just like you know, this looks you know, West Palm Beach. I'm here and I'm there and I'm in DC and it's all hot and sticky and muggy and it's just it, everything is now just one for me. So I was there on a night, and um, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, was the with the keynote speaker, yes. which is quite a good get. So Mazel Tov in the first um, in the first order on that conversation. But I want to get into what. Um, Secretary Pompeo said um, with you right now, because actually, um, he, he, gosh, I don't know how to quite say this. He, he flabbergasted a lot of the audience with his real conservative wokeness, I think. Yes. I think there has been some concern and consternation on the political right that Mike Pompeo has been chasing this um, intervention in Venezuela, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but, but tell us a little bit about the standout moments for you in that speech, and, and, and then I'll tell you mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. So, well, first off, this is this was the 40th anniversary gala, right, in Beverly Hills for the Claremont Institute, which exists to promote the principles of the American founding in American political life today. Uh, as you might imagine, that's a difficult task, and uh, the Claremont Institute is, is based in Southern California to boot. So this was our big 40th, and to have the Secretary of State there was a great honor. Victor Davis Hanson was... Uh, was MC. It was, a, it was a fantastic evening, but I think he actually really broke some news, right? He he gave an account for a Trumpian, if you will, foreign policy uh, that was much less interventionist, I think, than than some of us might have thought. So he said that America, after the Cold War, uh, quote, had become unrestrained, untethered from common sense. Um, the, the, he said the institutions that we built uh, to uh, defend ourselves against the Soviet Union had drifted from their mission, right? Um, and uh, and he said uh, we ended up we bought into the trade agreements. He said that helped hollow out our own middle class. We sacrificed American competitiveness for accolades from the UN and climate activists, and we engaged in conflicts without a clear sense of mission. And then he said no more. Right. So uh, so I think that was uh, that was very interesting. I, I believe is uh, it Walter Mead already has, has written on this in the Wall Street Journal saying uh, this is about as uh, comprehensive a statement you you might get or that's been written so far about Trump's foreign policy. Right, and he did say, quote, how about restraint? The founders sought to protect our interests but avoid adventurism. And yeah. I think that was a very important part of the speech. It had me, um, you know, and you know what I'm like at these gala dinners, you know, I'm just trying to find where the bottles <laughs> oh, of know. wine are kept. I know exactly what you're like. <laughs> yeah. But it even had me sort of at the edge of my seat going, well, hold on a minute, this is very interesting because as the, as the world awaits with bated breath, um, to, to see what America does about Venezuela. You have the Secretary of State, the, the, the country's foremost diplomat, saying no to, to military adventurism. Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that that is uh, heartening for many of us who'd like to see a, a reform of American foreign policy uh, after the, the last 15, 20 years. And uh, there's certainly a, uh, you know, you had David Boy on earlier. Mm. I mean, he's no stranger to the, these, this sort of discussion. Uh, I think that it was a, it was a welcome talk. There were welcome comments from from many of us from the Secretary of State. 
um, and 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 a real rejection of the the kind of uh, you know globalism in the worst possible sense. And he was, was funny throughout that. I didn't speech. think he was going to be funny, but he was funny as well. Yes, I want to yes. I want to pivot real quick to a couple of the other issues he raised. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being um, the Google censorship, right? That the Claremont Institute itself experienced ahead of the gala dinner. So just explain. You were trying to advertise ticket sales on Google, and they stopped you because of this essay on the site. Yeah. So we 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 have this essay on the site called "Defend America, Defeat Multiculturalism," which right Ooh. away gets people's attention. <gasps> <gasps> what are you talking about? But what what it's about is is how identity politics and political correctness are a, a very serious foe right now. They're actively destroying America, and and one of the main problems we have is that they want to crush any kind of speech or dissent mm. by saying it is off lo- it's it's off the books. Right? This is this is unacceptable, and this is acceptable, and we get to determine what's acceptable and not. Right? So that's part of the speech. Our President Ryan Williams wrote this essay. It launched our campaign against multiculturalism going into the 2020 election. So anyway, we put this essay up and uh, you know we promote it and uh, we wanted that's on the site but what we really wanted to promote was the dinner we just had on saturday in beverly hills with the secretary of state so the way google works is you go to them and you say look i want everyone they're tracking everything we do right they know everything about us uh they, they track who goes to what website so you say look i have this website and i'd like you to advertise to everyone who goes to this website for our gala dinner mm-hmm. so Please advertise all the audience of the American mind, everyone who visits the American well, mind. Well, that's, behold, and that's six billion people. Exactly. And growing. Yeah. I mean, and growing. <laughs> and with the pronatalist policies that I want us to adopt, uh, yeah. there'll be even more. It's like human events. Yeah. We're billions. Billions. Yeah, billions. So, AmericanMind.org, right? We advertise for it. Uh, for, we advertise to readers of the site uh, for the 40th anniversary gala with Secretary Pompeo. And we get an email from Google and it says, uh, I'm sorry, we can't advertise to readers of this site because this site violates our uh, our policy on 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 racial grounds. So we ask after two hours with a large conglomerate, what exactly does it violate? Right, it violates the it, our policy because it's racially or ethnically orientated content. Uh, we called. We said, is there any way to appeal this? And the lady on the phone said, no. And so then uh, Laurel uh, does digital work at her office. She called again. And the second time she heard that uh, as they looked at the site, oh, there's many, many potential violations all oh over goodness. the American mind. It's, it's violations all over the place, right? Uh, and so, so we thought, well, this is ridiculous. I mean, how can it be racially or ethnically orientated when our argument, in fact, is against race-based politics and tribalism? Yeah, well, hold on a minute. The name of the site, though, the American mind, that's kind of bigoted and xenophobic. Well, you know, what about, the, what about the Tongan mind? You know, why don't you have a subcategory for, for the Nepalese mind? Yes. You know, um, yes. the Madagascan mind? And, and furthermore, I mean, isn't, isn't mind, I mean, kind of discriminatory? I mean, it's it's uh, disabled. What, what about those who don't have a mind? Exactly. Right? It's, uh, dis- it's disabledist. You're, you are offending people. This is true. Who are, well, ve- who are vegetables and cannot think, you know, for themselves. This is outrageous. It, well, yeah. You've I mean, got to change the website to just the.org. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and put on it exactly what Google wants us to put on. Yes, which is just uh, a link to Google. So, so it, well, to, to finish this story, right? I mean, we put out, uh, we, we question twice and we get nowhere. There's no appeal and there's many violations. Uh, but Ryan wrote an article. We put it up on the American Mind. And within, 40, within 24 hours, uh, Google had called us up uh, mm. and said, you know, we apologize. This was a mistake somewhere down the line. Uh, all a big mistake. Mistakes were made. Mistakes <laughs> were made. 
Uh, you know, they do this with me all the time. And earlier on, and you heard me read that yes. um, Facebook email out. Oh, you've been through it multiple times. I've been through it multiple times. And every single time, it's either, oh, it was a mistake, or, oh, it's only a temporary thing. You'll be all right. Pat on the head. Off you go. But there are there are hundreds and, dare I say, thousands of people who on a daily basis across America yes. are having their accounts banned for expressing moderate, even, conservative opinions. Absolutely. And there are big names and, and people with millions upon millions of followers or, or millions in reach who are becoming, uh, you know, who are being slaughtered off these platforms. Um, is this election meddling? Well, just say yes. I would, I would put so it. So I can go to break. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just going to say whatever you want me to say, Google. Uh. Uh, <laughs> I, clearly, clearly, anytime you manipulate uh, the media, uh, that has that has an impact on elections. And I think what the Republicans need to understand, as my new friend Har- Harmeet Dillon uh, says, a lawyer on this issue, is very good. Uh, you can this they have the power to make sure you never win a national election again. Yeah. I mean, that power actually exists. Right. So the question is, how is that power going to be used? And at the very least, there's all kinds of complications here and things that we might do to uh, to solve this problem. But at the very least, we have to push back and help people push back when they are silenced. And if we don't do that, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to move in one direction, and we know what direction that is. In any event, it was great that the Secretary of State actually uh, made an offhand remark. Uh, you know, this is, this is actually Google. really good. We've got to do this more in the, in the future. I've got to yeah. fly out to L.A. to co-host radio shows yes, with you. Yes, yes. This is, this is top-quality banter, political banter at its yes. finest. Uh, Matt Peterson, the Vice, um, Vice President for Education at the Claremont it Institute. It may be better after a drink. It, well... Suit up in, because in we're minutes. yeah suit up because we'll be we'll be drinking later tonight um, in 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 Los Angeles somewhere in an undisclosed location in an underground bunker, um, and you're the, also the editor of AmericanMind.org. We're going to go to a break now, and in that break, I expect everyone, especially if you're not driving, in fact, only if you're not driving, to go to AmericanMind.org and check it out. It's an absolutely fantastic website, and I wholeheartedly endorse what uh, Matt and the team are doing over there. Quick break now. When we come back, Matt and I are going to maybe debate. But what we're going to talk about is, we talked about the problem. What is the solution to this tech censorship thing? Because I am tired of these boomer establishment, conservative and conservatives going, you can't touch the free market. The Facebook is a private company. We're going to, we're going to dissect that right here on the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. That's Matt Peterson. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of humanevents.com, filling in for Buck Sexton in the Los Angeles Department of the Freedom Hut, joined in studio by Matt Peterson, the editor of AmericanMind.org. Matt, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. It, uh, it certainly takes the, uh, takes the weight off my shoulders to have an erudite and... and, and um, grandiloquent uh, American keep, keep going. balding. I just you know. love hearing that accent. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I always like to make sure that we thank all the uh, the producers and the production staff and everybody at, uh, um, at the studios here um, for helping us uh, make sure this broadcast goes fantastically. So thank you to to Mike and all the team uh, in New York. This 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 whole thing is such a palaver to put together when we're all on the road. Um, and I'm just very, very grateful for them. And I'm grateful for you guys out there. If you like the show, tweet at me, tweet at Buck Sexton. I'm at Raheem Kassam. That's R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M on Twitter. Let us, let us know what you think. Um, and uh, if you don't like it, you can shove it. <laughs> but but you, don't, you don't like it. You love it. 
Um, that's a that's a Weezer line. It's from the song "The Greatest Man That Ever Lived." Did you know that? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, you know, I was thinking of an earlier song uh, from a long time ago. Take this job and shove it. You know, oh, classic you kind of country and western. And and Weezer also wrote the song "Beverly Hills," which is where I've spent the last couple of days. So that just is, bringing it full circle. Here, that is like, correct. Like any great radio host does. Yes. Um, it late, all ties together. <laughs> exactly. Latest news in the last uh, couple of hours. Um, Richard Burr relents on the Trump Jr. subpoena, agrees to strict limits on scope and the length of the interview. Um, so it looks like all the pressure that conservatives put on Senator Richard Burr over the last few days paying off for, for Donald Jr., who's already spent hours upon hours upon hours um, testifying in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And of course, yesterday, the great news that came out, Bill Barr appointing a prosecutor to examine the origins of the Russia conspiracy theory probe. I have a feeling things are going to get very, very difficult for Jim Comey and um, Clapper and even uh, Barack Obama to some extent with the with you know how far how much did the president of the United States at the time know was going on with regard this this these Pfizer warrants what was going on all there so really really sort of sexy and interesting times in American politics and I've got to tell you Matt and I wonder if you feel the same way I am kind of getting tired of winning <laughs> Uh, I, I love this tiredness then. I, I love <laughs> this, this kind of tired. Uh, we need more of it. And, and this, this slow, inexorable turn of the collusion story has been really a wonderful thing to witness and see, right? I mean, we, we crossed a point of diminishing returns after the Mueller report, and now you see the wheels starting to come off. And as long as the right thing happens, which is that pressure is put on this story, that, that the attorney general goes after it, you're going to see uh, all kinds of good results. I mean, I like to say that these days uh, CNN is the uh, Ivy League version of Infowars. I mean, you know, uh, we're we're at the point at which uh, you know mainstream media is peddling all kinds of, of wild stories, and they're going to pay for it uh, ratings-wise in the next two years. Just to bring us back to a, yeah. some of the thing we're not winning on at the moment it appears to be the tech and digital media stuff. Right. Um, and we talked before the break about the the free markets response to this where where do you stand i don't know if you speak for the claremont institute when you, when you talk about this yeah. um but where do, where do you stand matt peterson on this issue how do you address the sort of mainstream conservatives like ben shapiro who go out there and say you don't have a right to platform access yeah well i can speak i mean both as vice president of education at the claremont institute where we have these wonderful fellowships where we do educate elite leaders and as a editor of the american mind I think this is a important discussion that needs to happen. It's a complicated issue. And if you simply say, oh, no, there's nothing you can do. It's a private company. I think you're living in a fantasy world. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of, you know, cartoon world it is where, oh, there's just free markets and uh, these businesses do whatever they want. No, no. At the very least, you'd have consumer unions, right? I mean, I, I've been talking to some friends about this. You'd, at least you'd have a nonprofit that holds these people accountable. But there's all kinds of legal regulation all throughout permeating this supposedly free market. And, uh, you know, we need, to, we need to take this very seriously. Yeah, conservatives haven't actually done a great job of, of keeping regulation out of a lot of markets. But on this one, they seem to be drawing a line. And I don't mean people like you and I. We're the good conservatives. <laughs> but I, I, mean, I mean the ones who are clinging on to this sort of Koch brothers mentality, Cato Institute permeated, you know, we've just got to take our lumps on digital media. They, they don't seem to be assailing other regulations as, as firmly or at least supporting um, this, this stuff as, as, yeah. as, as anywhere else. Well, it just doesn't make what? logical, you know, are they in the pay of these people? I don't know. What's going on? They're scared of Facebook? 
I'm not scared of Facebook. There's a, there's a few things going on. I mean, one is certainly there are legitimate, you know, questions about. You wouldn't say, for instance, oh, we'll just solve this problem by having the government regulate everything, sure. right? I of mean, not. that's not a viable solution right. either. There's legitimate concerns about regulation, but it is true that some people uh, treat this issue differently because there's a lot of tech money that goes to conservatives. Uh, that is part of it, oh. uh, and also it's a it's an ideological thing. They, they're stuck in the 1980s kind of rhetoric, and they're not looking at the present day reality. Old rhetoric doesn't meet today's reality. An example would be. Uh, Example would be Jonah Goldberg writing a piece saying, "Well, we wouldn't complain about newspapers if they didn't have any conservative columnists." It's like this is a completely different thing. They're not they, they, they call themselves not publishers, right? I wish we had more time to yeah. discuss this, Matt. We're right at the end of the show here, and thank you so much for coming in here. Just to remind people where they can find stuff about the Claremont Institute. It's AmericanMind.org and Claremont.org. And I love the Claremont Review of Books. I've even been known to cancel dates when the CRB has arrived at my door, so wholly endorse. I've been Raheem Kassam, Editor-in-Chief of HumanEvents.com. Make sure you're heading over to there. Sign up. We have a membership thing. Support us. I'm so grateful for you being here. Thanks to all the staff. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>